When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and wonders how much of that money you get for climbing one whole place in the Premier League table. I'm Kevin Day and he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Sorry, Kieran, that was that was insensitive of me talking about climbing the Premier League table. I, I, I can <laughs> only fair, actually, Kevin. Well, you, you never know. You could get a good result. You you made you you. I wouldn't say you made me, Kieran, but you you so thoroughly recommended that I watch the Fulham Brighton game. You said that you said this is going to be a game full of exciting <laughs> football and goals. Hey, so wasn't. But having said that, having watched Palace Wolves yesterday, which was the opposite, <laughs> uh, it's it's questions today, Kieran. But we do have two news stories first. Um, both, I have to say, very heartwarming. One sad, heartwarming, and one happy, heartwarming. Uh, a chap called David Clough uh, died last year at the age of seventy-eight and supported Rochdale for pretty much his whole life. Uh, and it was discovered this week that he's bequeathed his entire fortune to the club. The money will buy a scoreboard and air conditioning in one of the lounges and a new ceiling in a lounge. I mean, it's a wonderful story, Ken. It's just unusual because you often you see adverts for people asking you know, other people to leave money in their wills for charities, but it's just, it's just unusual for football clubs to benefit from from wills. Yes, they're very unusual. I mean, most people will have family. Um, they will have causes which are close to their heart. So a football club could be within that. Uh, but this guy, is, his name is, is David Clough. And as you said, he, he was effectively Rochdale through and through as, as far as it can go. He, he worked in the local bakery. He didn't have a car. He cycled everywhere. But he still managed during his lifetime to raise over £500,000 just through selling the, the golden gold tickets and lottery tickets. Um so, you know, sadly, he died uh, last June and his estate has, has just announced, as you rightly said, that uh, his uh, all of his all of his proceeds uh, in terms of his estate will be going towards the clubs for these things. And to be fair for the club, they they're trying to retire his seat. I, th- I think Valencia did something similar. Uh, when a fan and what they're doing is that they're trying to raise money to get a, a statue which is going to sit in his seat forevermore yeah. and that will be quite you know it'll be yeah. quite quite an eye eye-watering uh event you know it'll be very you know, people will be upset but but proud of him at the same time so, you know, to, to do all of that again we, we we talk on this show about the dark side of money in football but it does give so much to so many and i think this is a perfect example yeah and every club has got a hundred, a thousand David Cloughs or Mabel Cloughs, haven't they? Fans that just very quietly get on with supporting the club, but as you say, sell the raffle tickets, turn up for things, do low-level good things all their life, and then decide that they want to do low-level good things for the rest of eternity, which is which is fantastic. I'm not sure I'd want to be the person who's sat next to his statue for the rest of the rest of eternity in the ground, to be honest. But it's a beautiful gesture, and we 
we support David Clough. Um, Palace are one of those many clubs that now have a little garden of remembrance where you can get your ashes scattered, uh, which is rather sweet. Uh, although I've made it quite plain that I want my ashes scattered on the pitch, uh, preferably during a game. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully, uh, as Palace are taking the penalty in the face of the opposing goalkeeper. That's 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 how I want to be remembered. A um, bit, bit, bit like the Great Escape. A little bit like the Great Escape, but then you accidentally give yourself away when someone drops a needle and you speak English by mistake. I think I've summarised that film quite well, haven't I? Then? Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, as we saw yesterday, the Wolves boss, Nuno Espirito Santo, is a very generous man. Three points, Nuno. Thank you. It's very unexpected. Um, but he has personally donated £250,000 to the club's Feed Our Pack food Project bank with food bank project, I believe. Upon um, and people will say, Kieran, there will be cynical people going, Well, he can afford 250,000 pounds, but that's an enormous amount of money that he's given to the food bank project. And and I, I imagine the biggest donation that I've had by far, and that will make a substantial difference to people's lives in Wolverhampton. So, hats off to him, that's a brilliant gesture. Yeah, again, you know, the, the cynics say, Well, as you rightly say, that they he can afford it, but. But he didn't have to, and he and he did give the money, um, and and he I think he was prepared to keep it low key. I think the the club wanted to publicise it because it is an amazing gesture. Um, I think we also have to give some credit also here to the Premier League because they they matched that they set up an initial two hundred and fifty thousand pounds grant to the club, um, and and the Premier League does an awful lot of good work which which doesn't get publicised. Um, you know, I think we, we've been very keen on food poverty due to the amazing work of Marcus Rashford as well. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, this this is another superb illustration that people in football, in the form of the players and the managers, um, they, they get an awful lot of stick. But I'm not sure it's all that's warranted. You know, they, 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 there's more good footballers than there are good football owners in many regards, uh, and and perhaps uh, you know people ought to cut them a bit of slack. Yes, yeah, some 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 young men do daft things, but if, if I was 22 again and earning that amount of money and having that sort of lifestyle, I'm sure I'd do daft things as well. If, if I was the age I am now, earning that amount of money, I'd be doing daft things. It didn't have to be twenty-two. I would welcome the opportunity if you're listening, universe. Um, these I've written this. I've written this sentence now. These are uncertain and difficult times for all of us. So we we are going to be doing our best to bring you more stories like that. And that sentiment comes from producer guy. Producer guy has said that we want to try and at, at least once a week bring a story of a wonderful financial gesture or wonderful helpful gesture from people in football to the community. And when a multimillionaire venture capitalist like Guy recognises that there are good people in football, then I think that's wonderful that somebody like him has stepped out of the boardroom. <laughs> he really is so different to the picture we paint of him, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's the world's sweetest. I've never known him say a bad word about anyone or anything. He's just the nicest little middle class mank, isn't he? With that, with that lovely soft middle class mank accent. We've just, we've just, and we'll continue to do so. Painting him as a terrible, terrible hedge fund manager capitalist who has a gold uh, gold sofa. Um, it's it's question time. We've got some interesting questions this week here, and we always do, but there's a, a very interesting range of questions this week. And the first one comes from Mark Locke. 
Uh, and we've we've not actually picked up on this, and I think it's something that is remiss of me, certainly, for not thinking of this. But Mark says, do you see the potential for non-league or lower league clubs to be compensated by the FA, or ideally the government, for loss of income due to zero attendances in the FA Cup? Um, I, I think there's zero chance of this happening. Uh, the, the FA have actually halved the amount of money that they're giving to clubs this season. Um, as a result of the losses that they incurred through the FA Cup final taking place in an empty Wembley Stadium. The FA has had the, the England matches take place again with, with no crowds. Um, and it was hoping to make an awful lot of money from hosting Euro 2020. I think we'll come back to that in a yeah. little while. Yeah. Um, so on the back of that, the, the FA has far less money. I think Gareth Southgate has taken a pay cut. There's been redundancies at, uh, at various aspects of the FA. So the chances of that happening are are, are zero. Um, when it comes to the government, uh, the, the government is is not a huge fan of professional football, as, as we've seen yeah. in, in the form of the uh, the bailout that's been given to various sports uh, in, in terms of the winter winter funds package. So. That they won't do that. I think they'd also be concerned that it will be setting a precedent. Which which other uh, senior sports? You know, clearly we've got the uh, we've got the Aviva Rugby taking place. Uh, we've got the cricket season about to come upon us, and so on. Um, and if football is seen to be given uh, an advantage, then those other sports would be uh, requesting it as well. It's, I'm, I'm optimistic about vaccines and all sorts of things, and the future looks much brighter than the, the recent past, but. The FA Cup will be starting again in July, August, won't it? So it's going to be very difficult for for very low-level clubs who will be playing games July, August, September. If this still hasn't been resolved, they're going to be going into the third, almost a third season of them getting no income from the FA Cup, which seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Well, given where we are at present, and I think we'll probably cover this story in more depth on Thursday with regards to the National League going in for a two-week hibernation. Mm. Football below the National League level has been suspended. Um, we are pinning our hopes on the vaccine. If, if that hasn't come through, then there will be no uh, preliminary rounds for the FA Cup in, in July and August because the government won't allow it, them to take place. Right, um, I, I say all that, but what what round of the FA Cup does money actually start kicking in? It it, it starts uh, at, at the preliminary round. Oh, it does okay. So, so every club uh, that is successful, uh, and initially, I think it's it's those clubs that are participating, and, and then it tends to go on to the winner. Uh, but the, the the money does start to ramp up. Uh, I mean, it's not huge amounts. I think for winning the fourth round matches, you, you've got something like one hundred and ten thousand pounds, which clearly to a, a Premier League club is uh, is is a relatively small amount. But to to those clubs, you know, the likes of Chorley who who got that far, it, it was it was significant. And on top of that, they were getting TV money on to, on in addition. Uh, next question is from David Vesey. Uh, David says that many Premier League clubs now have their own club-based TV station. I, I can't recognize, uh, recommend Palace TV highly enough. It's it's very, very good. Uh, and the guy that does most of the interviews is a very handsome, sarcastic vegan um, who's just genuinely very funny. And there's a lot of quite imaginative content on there, as there are for most Premier League football clubs. But David says, as they all follow a subscriber model, I can't believe they'd be that popular when the major broadcasters already cover all the matches. So basically, it's two questions there. Are, are, are there people who actually only go to, to club websites to watch live games at a substantial cost? Or are these uh, 
you know, club TV things just being, you know, you browse them for interviews and team news and whatever, and how much do they make out of that? Um, right, trying to dig into the accounts was actually uh, challenging because oh, okay. they are they're sometimes buried within the accounts of of the senior clubs. Um, I, I did take a look at the accounts of MUTV, and you'd expect Manchester United, with its global fan base, to be uh, very successful. Um, MUTV made revenue of eight million pounds in twenty twenty. Um, that, that's that's less than the gate receipts from two games, to put it in some form of context. Okay. Um, and, and on the back of that, the club managed to lose ten million. So e- even a club with the with the global appeal of Manchester United, it's it, it's struggling to find the right formula. And, and what they are looking for is the ability of the club to sell the the, the individual match rights. Um, and we've seen that in, in terms of both Project Big Picture, uh, where, where the clubs, uh, or rather Manchester United and Liverpool, let, let's be honest, they were the two clubs that were behind this scheme. They were going to start to sell their rights for eight games a season. Um, and then if that was successful, I suspect the eight would have become uh, all, all home games for all clubs. Um, so, so I think that would be um, an issue. Uh, but until that is the case, it, it, it is difficult because th- there are so many alternatives, uh, which which are e- either uh, more comprehensive in, in many regards. So you've got all the, the forums being run by, by fans. And we were talking only last week about the amount of money that was being generated by the likes of, of Arsenal TV, where it, it was fan-based and it was that much... Uh, it was it was irre- irre- more irreverent, should I say? Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't towing the line. It wasn't trying to constantly persuade you to to sign up for this, that, and the other, which I think fans get a bit fed up with. Uh, I mean, the only time that MUTV was ever a, any interest um, was probably the, the infamous Roy Keane interview, of course. Um, where that was probably his his last ever. Uh, word spoken uh, in, in, as far as that channel was concerned and and within a couple of days he'd, he'd been packed off to Celtic so uh, it, 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 there's not a lot to offer for a subscription model that you can't really pick up elsewhere on social media uh, pre-season friendlies are, are perhaps one thing if, if, if that's that's yeah but I, I can't really get excited about exhibition matches um, so, so trying to find a, a package which is worthy of the subscription fee, I, I think, has proven to be beyond most of the clubs to date in terms of trying to generate extra money. What's Brighton TV like? I imagine you probably have cooking programs and adverts for second-hand Range Rovers, don't you? <laughs> That's right. Well, we, we've not got one. Have you not got one? No. That's, no. Really? In this, in this day and age, why is that? Well, they've 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 got a. They, they've got the website. They do interviews on the website. You, you, you can pay some sort of subscription, I think, for for a slightly enhanced version. But n- nobody that I'm aware does it. Um, it. It's it's trying to find value. You know, the, the the manager talks to the press twice a week before matches. Uh, the players get interviewed. You've got the you've, you've got Twitter and the the fans forums. H- how much football do you actually need? Well, you need your own TV station if you're going to be taken seriously in this world, Kieran. But you know, fine if you if you want to just shuffle along with that that half-assed low-rent technology. <laughs> That's fine. James Hobbs um, has asked the UA the UA for Euro question that you predicted would be coming up because you'd seen the list of questions as well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's just how, how does this man do this? Oh yeah, he gets a question sent to him too. 
Uh, James Hobbs asks, what would the ramifications be for UEFA should Euro 2020 be cancelled completely? Or, yeah, I don't know whether they're going to be calling it 20. It's going to be confusing if they keep calling it Euro 2020 while the games are on. Uh, James wonders whether a fanless Euros is possible or a Plan B competition held in just one or two countries uh, as it nearly always is. I can't imagine, Kieran, that there won't be a, a, a Euro 2020 of some sort. Yes, and and the reason for this, it's going to be driven by TV, in in my opinion. So, um, of the options, unless things deteriorate significantly from a health perspective, UEFA will be desperate to to have some form of tournament uh, taking place. Uh, they have been sending out with increasing regularity emails to people who have bought tickets, and and there was some confusion because when I got the initial email from from them, where it said that uh, if, if the moves to another place we're not going to give you a refund I said well you know sod that Um, so I demanded my refund then a week later they changed their mind and said if the match is taking I think it's more than 50 miles or more than 200 miles from 200 kilometers um, from the initial place um, you would get your money back if you if you wanted which was which was a bit frustrating so I'd have quite happily gone to Manchester or or even to Dublin perhaps to see it to see see England play Um, but now I think that they are accepting that there's an increased chance of either no fans or, you know, we, we have seen um, uh, fans attending some some events. I think the Super Bowl, they're anticipating yes. 22,000. Yeah. Um, if we take a look at Australia, which appears to have dealt with uh, the virus in a far more a severe manner, and therefore it has far fewer cases. There, there were 30,000, I understand, at the MCG on, yeah. on Boxing Day. So if if the governments give the go-aheads, and this this could lead to you know some form of bubble competition where it's taking place in, in one or two countries, um, you know, we've certainly got the capabilities to do it here from a stadium point of view, whether we'll be sufficiently along the route uh, in, in terms of uh, public health and safety is, is questionable. Uh, you know, it, we, Russia hosted the 2018 World Cup, um, so therefore it might say, well, we're in a position to host this tournament. Yep. Um, you know, and you know, there's a lot to be said there. Uh, you know, if anybody's ever had a semi in Moscow, um, you know, that they, they will speak very highly of it, I can assure you. <laughs> Now, as you know, Kieran and I are two smooth operators, one of us literally, because this episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by our below-the-waist grooming partner, Manscaped, which offers the finest tools for your family jewels. Absolutely. And uh, the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0, which is their latest and greatest, includes the Lawnmower 3.0, which is A, is waterproof, so you can play with it in the shower. It's skin safe, so that's going to reduce the likelihood of nicks on your two best friends. It even has a light, which helps you to spot bits that you perhaps missed otherwise. Mm-hmm. And every lawn, Kevin, needs a bit of TLC. So as well as the lawnmower, you have the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, the Crop Reviver, which is a ball toner spray. And you put all of those together, and that's also going to help unintentional flossing. And on top of that, we get a travel bag called The Shed and a set of boxer briefs, which are really good to reduce chafing. 
That's a big package. And if you want to be hair-free, care-free, go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping using the code price of football. That's 20% off and free shipping with manscaped.com with the code price of football. Can I just say, Kieran, I don't think we've had a pod yet where you haven't found some way of crowbarring in the suggestion that the Euro should be played in, in Moscow. <laughs> Basically, even 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 in 2018, you were saying, let's, let's, let's not have it all over Europe, just get it in Russia, it's been great in Russia. I don't know if you ever have considered this as, a, as an option, probably not, but if Australia can be in the Eurovision Song Contest, why can't we have the Euros in Australia? Well, it, that that actually could be could be a solution. Whether Australia would be over keen on uh, twenty four teams arriving, but if if you take a look at the the way that they've dealt with the uh, Australian Open from from a tennis perspective, you know the players uh, there haven't looked entirely happy because they have to quarantine for fourteen days inside a hotel, so they can't actually practice their tennis. Um, it, it wouldn't work for football. Uh, so yeah, but, but f- finding a country which has had a successful treatment um, of, uh, of of coronavirus, it, w- there's no need for it to be in Europe. The only thing that could be an issue is that matches will be taking place local time there yeah, at three a.m. Yeah, broadcasters wouldn't be happy. I, I presume, Kieran, there's two questions for you here. Obviously, if there are no euros, the refunding everybody who's already bought tickets would be a massive logistical operation and also secondly were are all tickets priced in euros for the, the competition when you bought your tickets did you pay for them in whether yeah whether was the price in euros or was the price also in sterling no the, the price price was in euros i think i it worked out i think it was 185 euros a, a tip wow. or a ticket a um tip. 185 euros a tip that's now no, that is breaking up some memories <laughs> just yes. just a tip please thank you <laughs> Okay, so but the refund then that would be a huge logistical operation, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, yes and no. I mean, because everybody's booked online. Um, in terms of the people who have already requested refunds, uh, UEFA have said it's going to take four to six weeks to get that done. If, if you take a look at the likes of you know, EasyJet and Ryanair, they've had to give millions of refunds out, and, and they've managed. Um, so it, it, it should be within the capability of, of UEFA to do this because it, 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 it's a big logistical exercise to send out the tickets. So, so you know, this is actually easier because you don't have to physically send them out. Uh, I think there, there's one issue which I don't think UEFA have really come to terms with since buying the tickets, and, and you had to buy them, of course, at least a year early. So people were buying them in 2019. Many people will have moved houses, their credit cards or debit cards will have expired. Mm. So getting the money back could could result in that. That's where the that's where the practical and logistical problems are going to arise. Uh, because what what are you going to do under those circumstances? Well, also, and this is a horrible thing to say, many people who bought tickets will no longer be with us, will they? They're, they're, which is, a, again, an issue, I presume. Um, yes. I mean, in, in theory, their bank accounts could be uh, still outstanding right. um, you know, because the estate will be dealing with those. So, so UEFA should be able to get money into the bank accounts, which are linked to the relevant debit or credit cards. Right. Our next question comes from Larkin Hogel, uh, who wins Name of the Year so far, hands down. 
Uh, well, great... yeah, but did, did you see the uh, Dutch footballer yesterday who scored four goals for FC Den Bosch? No, no, listen, Kieran, I don't even look at the championship in, in England. <laughs> really, I'm a Premier League football fan. I don't know, other leagues still exist, do they? What, they do. What was his they name? Do. His name is, the, the greatest name I've ever seen in football, Jiz Hornkamp. That's a great name. That. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's just as well in in the Dutch. It's only in the, the era divisie that players have their names um, on their shirts because wandering around with jizz on the back of your shirt is, isn't isn't going to help, is it? Not not in most circumstances. No, there was, <laughs> this this is going to sound comparatively tame compared to your filthy example. But there was, a, I believe, he was Belgian defender called Mark Deman. <laughs> uh, which is a great name. Um, anyway, back to Larkin Hogel with his brilliant name. And Larkin's question is about Champions League payouts. And simply put, how do they work? And do they affect clubs differently? And as an example, uh, Larkin says, what did Ajax receive from their magical semi-final run two seasons ago? And was that enough for them to reinvest significantly? Uh, and Larkin is obviously in Hungary because he said our Hungarian champions, Ferenc Varos, are likely to finish last in the Champions League group. Uh, is it better to finish last in the Champions League group than win a couple of games and get into the Europa League? Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Right. Um, the payment system is very complicated. Um, what UEFA do is that they have, first of all, what's referred to as a club coefficient, and that uh, that measures the relative success in European competition over the course of the last 10 years. So therefore, if you are, um, let, let's say that, that, that Chelsea don't qualify for the Champions League this season, they will still get money from a Champions League pot because they've qualified in previous years. Um, th- this is all part of the the attempt by the big clubs to secure as much of the money uh, as they can. On, on top of that, there's something called a market pool. And, and this effectively works along the lines of the more money your domestic broadcaster gives to UEFA, the more money the domestic clubs take out of it. So English Scot clubs and Scottish benefit because uh, BT pay more for Champions League rights than any other uh, broadcaster in Europe. So oh, therefore, right. English clubs collectively between them take more money out. Um, so you know that works. Uh, you know that that works quite well. Um, in, in terms of Ajax, they they earned seventy eight million euros in twenty nineteen uh, for getting to the semi finals, whereas Manchester City, who only got to the quarterfinals, still earned ninety three million. Oh, okay. Because BT put more money in. Um, so yeah, there's there's lots of lo- lots of things, and then uh, in the group games, everybody gets a set fee, which is around about fifteen million euros. But on top of that, you get I think it's two point seven million 
uh, euros for a win and 900,000 for a draw. So even if it's a dead rubber, um, in theory, you know, the manager or, or probably they'll probably get a team talk from the from the finance director saying, come on, lads, this, this match actually does make a difference yeah. to the club as a whole. Um, so it, it does get uh, it does get quite messy in terms of the overall numbers. Uh, the the money in in the Champions League is is more beneficial uh, by a substantial amount. It gets about four times as much money as the Europa League. So therefore, if you take a look at clubs such as Napoli, who got knocked out of the group stage of the the Champions League in in twenty nineteen, they still made more money than Chelsea and Arsenal, who uh, contested the final of the Europa League. Right, and what about Larkin's uh, question about whether Ajax reinvested that money significantly? Um, yes, they they did reinvest it in in terms of wages and so on. I mean, Ajax is a is a very successful club from a financial point of view, mainly to do with uh, its sort of development profile. Having said that, Ajax normally makes less money than than the. You know, with no disrespect to our clubs, it will uh, in a normal season. Ajax will generate less money than the likes of Palace and Brighton uh, because the the Dutch TV deal is is minuscule compared to that of the Premier League. Yeah, I bet Ajax have got their own TV company, TV channel, just like Palace. Just saying. Um, still on the Champions League. Well done, producer guy. He may be an evil capitalist, but he can put questions together like anybody. Graham Stanton wonders whether it would be possible to share some of the Champions League cash among the rest of the Premier League or even further down through solidarity payments. Now, obviously, he says UEFA wouldn't be keen to give money to clubs not in the competition, but if the Premier League is one club, one vote, they could possibly uh, argue and force that through, could they? Um, that They couldn't because the Premier League are only allowed to vote on issues which relate to Premier League distributions. Now, as this is a UEFA distribution, um, that they would, they, they, this would be an area which they, they can certainly talk about uh, at the at the monthly meetings that they have. But the the, the other fourteen clubs wouldn't be able to do anything in regards to this. Um, and as as we were hinting at earlier, this is actually in, in going in directly in the opposite direction to what the the large clubs in in the Premier League want. If you take the the big six, on average, they earn three hundred and fifty million pounds a season more than the other fourteen clubs in wow. in the Premier League. And the argument that they're putting forward through both Project Big Picture and the European Super League is that um, three hundred and fifty million pounds isn't enough of a financial advantage, and uh, and and they want more. So you know, it, it's pure Gordon Gecko land in terms of you know the love of money and the love of greed um and it does impact upon competitive balance as, as far as the premier league is concerned our next question comes from matt Lindborn. hello matt and matt reminds us of the terrible death uh I, there's no need for me to say terrible death is a reminds us of the death of emiliano sala and wonders if there are any updates on what is happening and who is liable this was a subject we talked about briefly when we first started the pod, but Matt's a Cardiff fan and says to his knowledge, they've yet to pay any money to Nantes. I mean, this, I think one of the things we agreed on, Kieran, very early on was that nobody was coming out of this with, with any any credit. And it's a story that has gone very quiet, hasn't it? It has. And in fact, uh, it, I think it was the 21st of January uh, 2019. So it's now two years, years yeah. since the death of, of Emiliano Sala. Um 
there, there has been talk uh, of setting up a memorial trust. I, I believe Cardiff have contributed towards that. Yeah. They've asked Nantes and they've also asked the agent to contribute, but it's all gone very silent from the other parties. Um, the family are still asking for a start date for the inquest into his death. You know, and that's that's terrible. You know, we appreciate COVID as has has not helped anybody trying to do any form of investigative work, but not to be even given a start date. Yeah. The only thing that we have had is the the Air Accident Investigation Bureau report. Um, and in terms of the relationship between Cardiff and Nantes, this did go to the, the Court for Arbitration for Sport or, or something similar. And I believe that Cardiff have been forced to pay the first instalment of the transfer fee, which I think was around about £5.4 million. Right. But whether they are liable for the remainder uh, is yet to be determined because, uh, yeah, as we've said, sadly, on more than one occasion, uh, this is this is a young man. Yeah, this is somebody's son, somebody's partner, somebody's yeah. brother, and all of the these things. Um, as far as the two clubs are concerned, he's a contract. And he's a contract that both parties are trying to weasel their ways out of. Um, and, and as you rightly said, nobody's coming out of this for, with any credit in terms of. Uh, you know some some of the stuff which has been put out in the public domain fr- from all parties, uh, and and it is it's an embarrassment for the game the way that uh, you know the clubs at times um, and as for his agent, just don't get me started on that. Yeah, and as you say, the the important people here are the young man himself who lost his life and and his family who. Who who can't do it? Are left in limbo until basically footballing authorities and football clubs stop spinning this thing out and and resolve it some way or other. It's um, it, it, I, I I worry that this time next year and this time of the year after that, Matt Lindbourne will still be saying, "Is there been any progress about what's happening?" Which is depressing to say the least. Ryan Garcia, uh, he wins uh, second best name of the week. Sorry, Ryan. Uh, Larkin just pictured to the post. But Ryan Garcia says, with income being heavily affected due to COVID, how do kit manufacturers' deals work at the moment regarding payments? Do they normally receive one lump sum payment up front or will it be staggered throughout the year or throughout the contract? Um, th- there will be uh, el- elements of everything uh, in, in what Ryan's just said. Normally, the kit manufacturer will make an upfront payment um before the launch of the kit for the season uh and and that's partially to uh, be contractually agreed uh the, the kit manufacturers especially at the the upper end of the scale they are fully aware that if they give the club money before the sort of the transfer window is is in play uh, it's actually in their interest to do so as well because it's going to assist the club in being able to go out and sign players that increases social media interest that increases kit sales but in terms of the the overall nature of the deal, um, there will be a fixed element uh, on, on on the deal itself. Plus, there will be a commission for every piece of merchandise sold. And I think we've we've spoken that on average, uh, football kit deals uh, generate around about a seven percent commission 
four football clubs, but Liverpool have have taken a, a an innovative approach that they they've received less money from Nike or Nike, depending on how you like to pronounce it, um, than their than their preceding deal from New Balance. But I think they've got a, a twenty to twenty five percent commission, and and they've done their sums, and and they believe that with Nike Nike's marketing power and also its roster of sort of you know triple A plus. Uh, sports stars uh, who can be used to to promote the Liverpool brand, especially in the States, um, that they will make more money that way. Uh, but clearly, you know, football kit sales, you know, nobody's given out the, the, the numbers as yet. It's, it's difficult to have the spontaneous buys of football kit uh, after a match when you're watching it on television. You know, if you, if you're at, if, I, I've been known to buy some absolute tat uh, in our mega store, <laughs> I've, I've always wanted a, you know, a, a purple and lime green T-shirt with the club logo on because we've just beaten you know Burnley one nil or something. Um, so, so th- th- those spontaneous purchases aren't taking place. So, I would imagine for most clubs, uh, sales are probably down. You know, for, for some clubs, you know, Leeds have done extremely well on the back of being promoted, um, but uh, it, it will be a bit hit and miss. Kieran, you're colourblind. You may well have bought a purple and lime green T-shirt without realising it. You know that, don't you? Yes, I, I find that out when I, when I get home and the Baroness turns to me and says, do you, do you know what you've done? I go, well, I thought it looked nice. It's bright. Yes, while we're on that subject, we, we are collating some information about uh, the economics uh, as football relates, especially broadcast football relates to people with colour blindness and we, you may have seen some tweet messages yesterday so I think we will be trying to deal with the whole issue of colour blindness in football because once again Man United's away kit has been causing criticism so we'll be looking at that in greater detail in a few weeks hopefully. Um, two things off the back of this Kieran, firstly I believe the ancient Greeks would probably go Nike so if you can, it's good enough for me. If you can find an ancient Greek and confirm that. Um, secondly, you may well have told me this before, Kieran, but you know what my attention span is like. So, if if if, for example, Chelsea uh, have a new a, a new kit deal, negotiate a new kit deal, would that also include the Chelsea women's team, or would the women's team negotiate a kit deal separately? Could they could they have a, a kit deal with a different manufacturer, for example? Uh, theoretically, yes, they could. Uh, but most of the manufacturers want a deal which is as broad as possible. Um, what we are starting to see, and I think we'll come to this in a few minutes, um, is that the the women's teams are now sort of breaking out away from the men's teams when it comes to issues such as sponsors. Oh, do you know what? Subconsciously, I've just seen that question coming up. Subconsciously, that's probably, <laughs> probably what put it in my head. Uh, I'll just, I'll just mentally make a note to rejig the the way I asked that question. Um, Gary Bignall asks our penultimate question. It's one of our shorter pods this week, but there's lots of football on uh, telly. It's not today; it's yesterday. Isn't it? Let's not get confusing. But you're listening to this on Monday or Tuesday. You can listen to it when you want. Don't don't take our word for when you have to listen to it. But you're definitely not listening to it on Sunday, which is when we're recording it. Confusing enough? Good. Gary Bignall. Um, now, this is an interesting question, Kieran, about somebody who was quite a high profile just a few years ago in, in lower league football. So Gary Bignall wants to know about Glenn Tamplin and his time at Billericay, um, which was very well publicised, uh, especially uh, around London and the South East and the media here. By all accounts, Glenn Tamplin invested upwards of £2 million into Billericay, then stood down as owner in September 2019 and subsequently purchased 
Romford. But Gary wants to know whether Glen Templin still owns Billa Ricky's ground or training facilities. Um, I don't think he necessarily owns them, but according to the most recent accounts, um, somebody and, and uh, Billericay's accounts used to be, used to be quite uh, quite thorough and very entertaining. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> <In> what way? <laughs> well, they sort of give you know the, the the chairman's the chairman's statement. Never dull, never dull at all. Well, are you talking about uh, accountant entertaining or normal person entertaining? Well, well, as an element of both. I mean, for me, that there used to be plenty to get my teeth into. Uh, but the chairman's statement, you know, he he, he was uh, not shy of giving an opinion. Oh, okay. In the annual accounts. Um, but uh, wh- where we stand at present, as, as, as Gary rightly said, Glenn Tamplin resigned as a director of Billericay Town Football Club Limited in October 2019. Now, unfortunately, in 2019, all of a sudden, the, the accounts became uh, a lot less, uh, a lot less comprehensive in terms of content. So we used to know exactly how much he'd lent to the club. However, going into the small print, somebody is owed £1.75 million on an outstanding long-term loan. So he might not physically own the stadium, but he's if he calls in the loan, you know, uh, uh, then he would be entitled, if the club's not in a position to repay it, which it isn't, at this, right. unless somebody else comes in, um, then he'd be entitled to, if he's got any form of security, to call in on the assets of the club. So... Uh, it, it does look as if he has certainly a, a financial investment uh, and uh, that th- that could have implications for the club. There's no evidence that he wants to do anything of a negative uh, or negative slant. You know, he, he did have a good time there and, and I think he, he, he would be reluctant to, to tarnish uh, his memory of the time there by doing something of that nature. So at that level, are you allowed to have a stake in more than one club then? Yeah, lo- loans and shares are different investments. I see. Oh, I see. Okay. So right. if, if, if he must have sold his shares because you wouldn't if if you if you own shares in clubs which potentially could face each other in a match, um, that that would cause issues as far as the, the individual leagues are concerned. It's it's company's house that you lodge accounts at, is it? That's correct. Yes. So do you think every year at company's house on a quiet day they'll be sitting there going, "Oh, Billy Ricky's coming in soon." This will be a laugh. That, that's the afternoon done. <laughs> um, I, I'd, I'd like to think so. Um, it is a very automated system. So sadly, I, I don't think he, he will be um, high on their list. But talking about Companies House, uh, it is the it is the 1st of uh, February. So we're celebrating six months overdue of uh, Sheffield Wednesday submitting their 2019 accounts, right. which means that the fine the club's going to have to spend is double. Um, oh, really? And Sheffield Wednesday have also, by all accounts, uh, failed to pay the wages in the fall for January. So oh, uh, oh. You know, they, they they are coming up on the rails of another club in the championship mm-hmm. uh, in terms of being on the naughty step and perhaps getting too many mentions yeah. uh, for their liking on this show. All right. Well, Guy, if you are listening or whoever it is you're paying less than minimum wage to edit this week's show could pass on the message, put Sheffield Wednesday down for Thursday's news thing. Uh, I, even as I said, Company's House, I knew there was going to be a talking of Company's House. Um, <laughs> and let's face it, most of the time people at Company's House spend their, spend their moments going, that's that bloke from Price of Football again. What's he? Has he, has he not got a home to go to? Our final question comes from Joe Yates. And I think the more... Uh, perceptive among you would realise that this is going to be about sponsorship in some way, form or whatever. 
Um, Joey X's question is about Alisha Osmanov. I'm never quite sure how you pronounce that first name, but uh, he just puts Osmanov. Um, uh, Everton. He's, he said Usmanov has invested a large amount of sponsorship into Everton's women's team. Will this count towards revenue for the men's team in FFP calculations, or are the women's accounts separate? Um, the, the women's accounts are separate. However, um, when you take a look at the, the consolidated or the umbrella accounts upon which FFP is based, uh, anything which involves the women's team is ignored for FFP purposes. So uh, the women's team can lose as much money or make as much money as it wants, uh, but it's not it's not going to qualify towards FFP. Um, so so the, the women's team is, is safe with regards to that. Uh, Mr. Usmanov's uh, relationship with Everton is, is strange. Originally, he was a significant shareholder mm. in uh, Arsenal, and he then bought some further shares from... Uh, Farhad Mashiri, um, who who was another minority shareholder at Arsenal, uh, Farhad Mashiri took the money he got from Usmanov and went out and bought Everton. Usmanov um, was trying to take over Arsenal, but he kept being pushed back. And the reason why was that the uh, Arsenal's major shareholder, who is Stan Kroenke, he is about 65% of the company. Usmanov uh, had 35%. Uh, Stan Kroenke wouldn't even let Usmanov sit on the board of directors, despite owning a third of the club. Um, so Usmanov eventually, I think uh, in, in accounting speak, we say, saw his ass um, <laughs> and, okay. and, and left. So he got bought out by Kroenke. Um, and, and since then, he, he has popped up in, in, at Everton. Uh, so that he's now sponsoring the uh, training facilities. Yeah. With with his main company, which is uh, a, a, an Eastern European uh, metal exchange, which I'm not, I'm not sure how it benefits from having its name above the gates at uh, on Merseyside, but uh, he's paid a huge sum of money for that. Um, and also one of his other companies, which is a, a Russian telecoms company called Megaphone, it is now sponsoring the Everton's women's shirts. So they, they've got the the men's shirt, which is being sponsored by a uh, a, a car company uh, because Everton stopped their deal with, with the gambling company. Yes, yes. It's a topic we could refer to, re- return to at some point. Um, and... Uh, Megaphone have now got the women's TV team rights. And I think that that's quite intriguing because we are starting to see some uh, some corporate entities take the view that uh, as crowds and interest increases in women's football, that their brand probably fits in quite well in with the demographics of women's football and, and they're starting to show more of an interest. Um, and as far as women's football is concerned, uh, nearly all of the money comes through commercial sales. If, if you take a look at the likes of, of Liverpool, for example, I think in, in 2019, uh, their total ticket sales for the season generated £2,000, which is, you know, is, you know they, were, they were having to build up interest yeah, in the team by, by you know, giving tickets away. Um, none, none of the women's teams are generating more than 127 grand in in ticket sales. So that's an area of growth for the future. But commercial deals is, is certainly something which can be important uh, uh, today. Mm. I've been with my accountant, little Bobby Numbers, for nigh on 30 years now. I've never heard him use the expression "saw his ass." 
I, 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 you're some kind of renegade accountant. You, you, you casually say all accountants use these phrases. It's you. Um, you mentioned the Russian telecoms company. There's another potential problem for Usmanov, and I guess potentially for Everton, in that there have been increasing calls in the past couple of days for um, investigations into Usmanov and Abramovich's links to Putin, and indeed calls for the FA and the Premier League to maybe look at sanctions for these two people. Yes, they have. Uh, and, and this is linked uh, to some uh, some of the pronouncements from the Russian opposition uh, leader who has been poisoned and jailed by Putin's regime. Uh, and uh, he he has said uh, you know, in, in some of his... Uh, in some of his uh, writings, that uh, both Abramovich and Usmanov have have close links, and uh, it, it doesn't reflect well on on the on, on the Premier League uh, in having such relationships. So, trying to put pressure, um, the, the Premier League will uh, go silent on this and say it doesn't get involved in politics unless it's Middle Eastern politics. Funnily enough, and, and 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 Newcastle. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that this one could could make the Premier League feel a little bit uncomfortable because. Uh, you know, given what's happened to him uh, in terms of the absolutely appalling treatment by by the Russian government, and and as somebody that's probably still banned from going back to Russia, I'm quite happy to say that. Um, that then uh, I think everybody should be trying to offer as much support as possible. Yes, and finally, you mentioned gambling. Uh, within the next week or so, we'll be having an interview with somebody who is uh, an expert on the effects of gambling on young footballers, in particular. Uh, I know it's an issue that agitates both of us so i'm looking forward to uh, to that in the meantime if you have any questions for our next questions pod which is uh monday uh week today to those of you listening on monday we've got the news on thursday and questions next monday it's questions at price of football.com and that's a question on any aspect of football finance no matter how big or small we're open to all inquiries as kieran has been for most of his life um, uh, in the meantime, I think it's just about time for the first game to kick off. So I'm going to run in and have a sausage sandwich and watch that. I'll let Kira say goodbye to you all. Right. Well, whilst Kevin's enjoying his sausage sandwich, and th- that's, that's another Viz Profanosaurus special, of course. Um, once again, thanks for all the feedback, folks. If you could press the subscribe button. Uh, we, we have taken the mickey out of producer guy, who is the world's sweetest man. We have to be perfectly honest here. But as he always says, uh, you know, the, the feedback uh, on, on Apple Podcasts does make a difference. It helps us in the charts. And, and we are trying to book some 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 interesting people to, to yeah. have a chance chat with and it just adds to our credibility with them um it doesn't matter what you say um you 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 can say that you'd rather uh jizz horncamp and perhaps bjork host the show as opposed to myself and kevin that makes no difference if you give us the five stars it does apart from that stay safe look after yourselves and speak to speak to your loved ones yeah uh, i i've met bjork can i put a request in that maybe she doesn't co-host any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would listen to it, certainly, but I don't think Guy would particularly want to produce it. Um, uh, yes, in fact, I, sh- I should have mentioned it in, on the news, uh, our next part on Thursday, we will be bringing you an interview from uh, somebody from the NFL, uh, from the 49ers, rather, the, the 49ers are in the NFL, but an interview with somebody from San Francisco 49ers about their increased investment in Leeds United, which should be interesting for all concerned. Until then, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. The
that provides some photo quality.